0: This is the Jeff Merrick
1: Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Okay, welcome back to the program. So to come top of the hour, Mike Rupp from the NHL Network, former Stanley Cup champion, will stop by. Also, um, we will play some of the interview that Elliot and I did with Bruce Cassidy, head coach of the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, This was in advance of Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Final. Game 3 is tonight, 7.30 Eastern. Hockey Central is your official pregame program, and your host, Ron McLean. The puck drops just after 8 in sunrise uh, speaking of the Florida Panthers uh, he is the uh, former director of amateur scouting for the Florida Panthers and plenty of stories live there folks uh, analyst for our draft coverage and uh, and prospects as well here on sports Saint. he is the one and only Jason Bucala who joins us from the combine in Buffalo Books, how are you
0: hey Jeff doing fantastic pal missing you not being here you're missing uh, you're missing out unfortunately uh, it's uh, these kids I know you love this stuff and these uh, these kids are, are hitting it out of the park
1: is it? I'm always curious too. Like, who are the ones that seem like really coached? Who are the ones that you know uh, haven't been overly coached? The uh, the ones that still you know betray the fact that they're 17 years old and they can sort of shoot at the hip a little bit. Who's impressed you so far in the interviews?
0: Well, you know, historically, you're you're bang on. I mean, it, it got to the point a couple of years back where you know, especially the North American kids, they were they were schooled almost. You know, they were robotic when they came into the room and um So it's been a trend forever that the the European kids of, they just their approach is a little bit different than the North American kids. They they seem generally more worldly. You know they've been living away from home even longer. You know you got a 17, 18 yeah. year old kid. Uh, remember Marco Casper? You know those guys last year. Oh he's so in good. Own, so
1: he's good. living in
0: his own <laughs> yeah Yeah, was amazing, right? He's living in his own flat, riding his bike to yeah. school every day. But he's playing pro hockey in the highest league. I mean that's that's incredible, right? Um, yeah. But we just came out of a, an interview uh, uh, about half an hour ago with Ryan Leonard from the U.S. National Team Development Program, and yeah. it was absolutely refreshing. I'm, I'm going to go on record right now and tell you that I if this kid gets past number six, which is Arizona, I'll be shocked. I mean, not yeah. only has his year gone, um, he, he's just an elite player, plays like his hair is on fire, he's hard to play against, produces offense, but personality to boot i mean the kid was uh, it was fantastic so mm. and we just had the Ryanbacker kid who's making a lot of noise he's a momentum guy for the draft yep. uh, he, he just left yep and he's giving me vibes of uh of moritz cider in uh in 2019 a little bit so it's going to be interesting
1: oh wow uh so pay attention to the tri red wings on this one you know the, i am curious too like how much can an interview Either help or hurt, and I'll give you two examples uh, from from my past. And you're right; like I, I love doing combine and love talking to these kids. But um, I remember uh, I remember Hendricks, who ended up getting from Shakutimi, who ended getting drafted by the Washington Capitals. I remember his interview, and that was during COVID as well. So that was done over Zoom. He was fantastic. I mean, he just like yeah. hit it out of the park. Um, the, the the one. I mean, there have been a couple, but I remember there was one player, and actually, I think you would have been with Florida when, when he was taken, uh, and that's Henrik Björgström. So yes. yeah. I can recall coming away from that interview, shaking my head, and kind of saying, like, I, 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 don't, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what I just heard. Um, And then I have to catch myself and say, "Well, these these kids are really young." And I talked to another team about him uh, a couple of days later, and this team said to me, "Yeah, we came away with the same feeling." As a matter of fact, we had to book a second interview with him because we couldn't believe, you know, what he was uh, what he was talking about in in the first interview. Now he still ended up going high, still ended up being a first round draft pick. But do you remember your interviews? Were you with you were with the Panthers in two sixteen, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So that was uh, we took Borgstrom in the first round, and he was coming out of um, junior hockey in Finland. Of course, he he couldn't play pro over there because he was going to be coming to Denver to yeah. go play NCAA hockey. Obviously, you couldn't be cashing a check in Europe and, and coming over here to play NCAA hockey. Borgie is a is an interesting. We should almost bottle him as an example of a, of a of a youngster. Oh, how would I best describe it? Almost in a man's body, almost, like he still had some filling out and some growing to do, but you look at him and you're thinking, man, but in inside of that body, still um, very young, if, if you get my drift, like um, bored, oh, yeah. beyond immature at some times, um, flippid, kind of uh, loosey-goosey, but then other times he could be serious, too, so... Misleading, I guess is the best way I could describe him. And, you know, looking back on that pick, I mean, when he went to Denver, Jeff, like he might've been the most elite player in, in college hockey when he was at Denver. And we thought we had, hit. He was excellent. oh my goodness. Yeah. We thought we'd hit a home run. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, the, the curve and he's playing in the uh, Calder cup finals with Hershey right now. Um, things haven't worked out yep. over here at the pro level, but I'll tell you, he's the kind of guy that when he ends up going back home, if that's the case, if he doesn't figure it out over here, he'll Mm -hmm. probably make a huge check overseas and score lots. But um, immature, high-end talent, great college player, um, and a little bit misleading looking back on it now. And and, and it makes sense, doesn't it? Because that's why he's not in the NHL right now.
1: Yeah. Let me, um, let me ask you about this year's draft, and, you know, I've been, again, you're a lot closer to it than I am, but having a look at it, I've said, okay, all along, the draft starts at three, but then after watching the Worlds, now I say to myself, maybe the draft actually starts at two, we all know who's going first, and we're going to get to him in a couple of seconds. But whether it's Adam Fantilli or Leo Carlson, do you agree that the draft starts at 2 and not 3 anymore?
0: I, I 100% agree with you. I really do. I think that um, it's going to be... So I've got Fantilli at 2, I've got Carlson at 3, and I'm splitting hairs. They're different types of players. You know, they're both, But they're both big bodies that can play in the middle of the ice. One's a little bit more cerebral than the other guy. You know, Fantilly plays like his hair's on fire and, and, you know, he's full of energy all the time, Carlson's a little bit more calculating. And then, of course, you got to start to throw Mitch Kopp into the mix after that. But I think so. And, and I mm-hmm. think there could be a disturber here, Jeff, on the horizon. Like, you know, is somebody going to step on Will Smith? Is somebody going to be blown away by Ryan Leonard at what they're seeing here? Because, Not only is his personality, you know, knocking it out of the park, but his fitness is off the charts as well. So, I mean, this is a total package, Mm. right? So, you know, I'm looking at, uh, and I'm going to spitball a little bit for you. I'm just going to put my scout's hat on and and just indulge me if you don't mind. But, like, I'm looking at Arizona. So tonight, for example, we find out some information here that Leonard's going out for, he's already had a couple of interviews with Arizona. He's going out for dinner with them tonight you know, with the staff to get to know them a little bit more. So I start going through my draft grid, and I'm looking at Arizona at 12 and 6. And does Arizona want to be a disturber with all the draft capital they've already got coming through their system? Yeah. Do they want to move to those yep. picks and move up and really, you know, hit it out of the park? So, yeah, it starts at 2, and it's going to be fascinating to see how aggressive uh, a couple of these uh, teams are. And that's even without throwing Mitchkov in that conversation.
1: Let, let, let's have that conversation then. Matt Vemichkoff, who's who uh, we've talked about for a number of years and we've all waited for. Now he has a contract uh, in the KHL, which is going to preclude him from, from coming over for a few years. Uh, you know very much that they would love to keep him. Um, he is, he's the, he's the wild card and I, I've looked at Mitch Koff and I've said, and, and maybe the team is Arizona and I'm not even sure if he's going to get to six though. It looks to me like if you're a team that has multiple picks, uh, or a cruise multiple picks, maybe you take the, you, you take a quote unquote gamble on Mitch Koff. but how, how do you see this story playing out? And at what point does it get really uncomfortable? And is a team just forced to say, I know there are issues, but we can't pass up this player.
0: So I, I wish I could sit here and tell you that I feel more comfortable. Usually by this time, by the time we're arriving here, I'm starting to feel a little bit more secure with the strategy and, and you know, forecasting. You know, uh, we're going to draft this kid, and, and we feel pretty good about it. I still haven't gotten quite there with Mitchkov, and there's some things that are holding me back besides the contract. I mean, you know, the due diligence that you do, uh, you start to find out about, you know, how is he as a teammate and, you know, why did he play on four teams this year? Other than the fact to get loaned out from, you know, SKA, which is a juggernaut to go to Sochi, which is like a second level kind of KHL team. So he performs at a high level, plays to his identity everywhere he goes. He's got some off ice uh, distractions and tragedies, as we well know. Um, I'm yeah. sitting here today, Jeff's telling you that like, I'm still not 100% comfortable at four or five. I think it makes sense for Montreal at five. I really do, because of the fact that they've got a ton of prospects on the horizon. Let's be honest, too. The general manager and the team president, I think they're going to be there for the long haul. As you know, like a general manager who's going to draft yeah. Mitchcock. you better have four or five years on the books ahead of you and you contractually yep. because you want to see it through. If you've only got, if you are got two years left on your deal, do you have the appetite to make the pick? Because, you know, is it going to benefit you guys in those two years? I, you know, I don't know that it is. So a lot of moving parts, elite talent, likely the second best talent in the draft, a lot of outside noise, more noise as I get yeah. closer to the draft. I'm lukewarm about it right now. <sighs> High risk.
1: Is that going to be the first gasp at the draft? Like, there's always one pick. Last year, we got it early with Slavkovsky in Montreal. First overall, because there was the Shane Wright, Yuri Slavkovsky debate. So the first gasp, like, I'm always curious about the first gasp at Mm -hmm. the draft. So we got it early last year with Slavkovsky where does the first gasp happen? And is it indeed when someone takes Mitch or is it when a team jumps up and takes mystery player X? What do you think? Where's the first gasp?
0: Well, I think Mitch is the first gasp. So if it, if it ends up being, you know, Montreal, I think that's a quasi gasp. If, If he goes to Arizona, um, it kind of makes sense if you really think about it because if you look at Arizona's depth chart and the way that their players are going to be starting to drop into their systems, you know there's only 50 contracts. There's only one puck. There's Logan Cooley's coming. they got all these guys coming. The timeline actually works pretty good for Arizona, doesn't it? Like three more years, no big deal. Um, So that could be one. If he gets past Washington – that's like the the stadium might not gasp, but I'll be gasping. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Like <laughs> if, if Mishkoff goes past Washington, I'm going to be like, really? Wow, that's something. So I
1: can't. Um, can, can, can can hang on. First of all, considering the affinity that the Washington Capitals have always had for Russian hockey players, whether they have drama or not, I would be stunned, like stunned, books. If Mitch Koff gets past Washington at eight, like I, I'm with you, that would be, that to me is, is, is the shock of all shocks. If Mitch Koff past eight, like just the thought 100%. of it, having Mitch Koff and Ovechkin on the same team. No, no, no chance. No chance.
0: No, I, I just, you know, and if there's a team, if there's a franchise in the league that has leverage to go over there and say to Scott, um, he's got three years left, but we want him in a year. And, you know, like, you know, that Ovi's going to, there's going to be some backroom politics that go on there and you know that Ovi would be involved in that. So that, that one right there would be a gas, but the Reinbacher one, that's, that's mm. going to be fascinating for me. If he goes as high as, you know, five to Montreal, six to Arizona, mm. that really throws things out of whack a little bit. Like I mentioned on Leonard, um, we have had a couple of kids. I don't want to say everything's been smooth sailing here so far today. We have had a couple of kids who aren't identifying their um, areas of weakness um, with uh, a responsible take. I, I'm, I'm trying to be – they're 18 years old, so let's put it all in perspective, 17, 18 yeah. years old. But, you know, when you're a top-ten pick, you know, there's going to be bad days in the NHL. There's, there's, like, you have to perform on yeah. the bad days in the NHL because it's hard. It's a hard league. And when you can't take simple, direct questions in certain meeting scenarios right now without getting your guard up, that speaks a little bit to your character. So teams are going to start to yeah. see some of that, like, you know, resistance to, to push back from a team. And, and you know, that, that speaks to coachability. So there are some outliers, and, and that, makes, uh, that makes a big difference in the top ten.
1: Okay, you know I'm I'm curious because you have so much experience at this, uh, and I have none. I mean, you've worked with with a couple of NHL teams. I've worked with exactly uh, checks, notes, zero. If I were a prospect and like completely, completely honest, and I'm sitting with Jason Buchla, and Books, you say to me, you know, g- give me your uh, give me your hockey card, give me your scouting report on yourself, and I say to you in full honesty and transparency uh mr Bukola, i show a lot of promise but i lack a lot of focus what would you do with that
0: well out of the blocks it's good to be able to identify that um there'll be somebody else in the room when that question is asked and and they would uh, be taking notes on it but the first thing i would suggest i'd ask them the first question and that is okay well that's interesting you identify that you lack focus is it is it a daily routine? Like what time do you get up in the morning? Um, Are you a make your bed kind of guy to get your day started? Um, You know, do you have the same thing for breakfast? Are you making sure you're at at class on time? Like, you know, the simple steps to to get into a routine that will best set you up for success, whether it be at the rink or in the classroom or on your job. um, If you can start to identify the simple little holes in the routine that we can help you yeah. to fix then you know hopefully the buy-in usually kids who are, are are assessing themselves and being relatively hard on themselves it's not a bad thing because you know they're already here they're yeah. at the combine they're high-end talents they're already succeeding at a high level yet they're identifying their areas of weakness okay great we're here to help you yeah. out with that thank you for the insight and uh, and we'll push forward but uh as you know, um, and, you know, for your listeners that are out there, there's not enough, uh, and, and you and I are both hockey dads, and we're sports dads. We, generally speaking, like when you and I were growing up, our generation was harder, or our parents' generation were harder on us. Um, you know, and the, expect, the bar was set differently. You know, go get a job when you're 14, cut yeah. the grass, do the laundry, do all kinds of stuff. Today's kids coming through, I find, they haven't had enough bad days Jeff and you know so you know how are you programmed for those bad days how are you programmed for constructive criticism and how are we setting them up for for that because when they get to the ultimate level NCAA major junior NHL that window of skill is so minute these kids are so elite you better be able to push through those bad days
1: that's a great point um last one here for you I got about 45 seconds books if you can do it bless you so what do you think Connor Bedard's weaknesses are?
0: If I had to uh, say so, explosiveness out of the blocks. I'd like to see him get a little bit quicker. He's powerful, but I'm not. There's a difference between being sturdy, powerful, and being quick. So I'm looking for a little bit more quickness out of the blocks off the rush between the blue lines. I'd like to see him get the edge um, a little bit more and and with more speed. When you're not a tall guy, Jeff, like you don't have the range on the outside, like, like an Alexander Barkov's long or a Dylan Cousins, they're long, yep. right? So the puck is out, out of reach. Yep. Um, not so much with Bedard. I think a little bit more quickness. He's fit, he's strong, mm-hmm. but uh, his quickness is going to have to go to another level, and it will in time because, I mean, he's Connor Bedard and he hasn't let us down so far.
1: Yeah. Uh excellent analysis as always. Listen, uh enjoy the rest of the uh day. Enjoy the uh enjoy the lifting, the grunting, uh maybe the barfing uh as well when the <laughs> when the exercises get going. And uh we'll catch up soon, Books. All right. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day, Jeff. As always, Jason Buchla, uh who uh is one of the anchors of our draft coverage. Great, you know, that that guy travels all over the world to all the major tournaments. Has all the scouting cards on all the kids. He is a 24/7 prospector um, and former director of amateur scouting for the uh, Florida Panthers as well, previous with the Nashville Predators. Okay, coming up in hour two, you will hear our interview, and by hour, I mean me and Elliot, uh, our interview with Bruce Cassidy from last Friday. Still stands up. Some interesting stuff on there. That's coming up in hour two, but kicking it off in a couple of moments, Mike Rupp from the NHL Network, Merrick show across the Sportsnet Radio Network, 360 and Sportsnet Now. Back in a moment.
0: Breaking down the biggest stories in Toronto sports. The Fan Morning Show with Ailish Farfar and Justin Cuthbert. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: Welcome back to the program. Welcome to hour two of the show. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, we'll uh, rebroadcast part of the interview that Elliot and I did with Bruce Cassidy in advance of game one of the Stanley Cup final. Game three is tonight. Uh, The venue shifts from Nevada to Florida. Uh, Goudis is in, although Paul Maurice downplaying the physicality saying there's an energy issue here. Maybe we need to rethink how we play, uh, for comments on the series, uh, comment on that comment and comment on the Vegas golden Knights. So far, man, have they been good? He is Mike Rupp. He is a former Stanley cup champion himself, and you can watch slash hear him on the NHL network. Rupper, how are you today?
2: I'm good, Jeff. What's cooking?
1: Uh, a couple of things. Um, well, in advance of, uh, I want to get to the the game tonight in the series so far and get your thoughts on it. But as take put on your your Mike Rupp players hat here, and you know today it's it's um, it's media availability for Jim Nill, general manager of the Dallas Stars, and amongst other things uh, that he's talking about is you know he goes out of his way to mention how there's a lot of players that through the playoffs who are dealing with both rib and back injuries. Um, what do you? Like, I, I never played at the NHL level, obviously, and you did, and you, you know, you uh, you had the the ultimate prize, the Stanley Cup. Um, what are the most common? injuries that we should always think about like when we're watching the game tonight when we're watching Vegas when we're watching Florida uh, we know that these guys are not a hundred percent what are the injuries that you think we should keep in mind that that most guys if they don't have an injury at least they have the uh they have the aches and pains which are the body parts here Rupper
2: oh man um yeah I mean there's always been the nagging things um I, I would have to assume that a lot of times it's in that the midsection region where you just got, you'll have like a pulled abdominal muscle or there's the groin or hip flexor. Like that area is is an area that I feel like every player is probably maintaining to some degree right now, as far as just trying to stay loose and it's it's tight and um, you know I mean that that's pretty standard I think from the uh, the regular season as well. But in, in the playoffs, it's you know you just try to get to certain spots where I think the hitting and just kind of getting in that mode of playing every other night that it starts wearing on you a little bit. But I mean, there's a variety. I mean, you get all different types of things going on, but I think for the most part it's like you see guys that's trying to flush these legs out, keep the legs as loose and as fresh as you possibly can. Uh, Cause that's something that yeah. you don't want right now. You don't want your legs feeling heavy.
1: You know, last year we made a lot of, and I think for good reason. We'll still talk about it, and I still think it was one of the best performances that we've seen in the Stanley Cup playoffs last year with uh, the Edmonton Oilers and Leon Draisaitl. watching him in agony with the Achilles, uh, you know, screaming on the bench and then getting back out there. And even though he was stationary, he might have been the best, you know, stationary player we've ever seen in the NHL, was still able to produce. But when you played, was there one guy with one injury that rubbery you looked at and you said, I have no idea how this guy is able to do this. How is he still able to function on the ice?
2: Um, I, I think that it's um, maybe not to that degree of not being able to move. I don't know. Maybe some of these guys just kept it in quietly and you didn't know how much pain they're in or how, how bad they are. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I knew guys that, you have penalty killers who you you know have a broken foot or um a fracture somewhere yeah. in there and they're still they're still getting in front of those shots and still blocking them and uh that that was something where you you have an injury but you know what your job is and you're not going to let that get in the way. You know when I think back and and it wasn't when I played but do you m- remember how th- this is the one that always sticks out to me too is and was that 20 20- was that 2017 Ottawa Senators run to the, the Eastern Finals? Eric Carlson yeah, they, playing on one yeah,
1: foot. Yeah, lost, lo, lost, yeah, uh, was it 2017? Yeah, 16 or 17. And they lost the with, Penguins. Chris, Chris, yeah, Chris, yeah, Chris, Chris in, Kunis with the game winner in overtime, yeah.
2: Yeah, so, I mean, I remember, like, watching that and Eric Carlson with playing on pretty much one, one leg or one foot in those playoffs. And he was arguably the best player in the world. And he kind of willed that team to get into that position. So that's one that really jumps out to me the most. And You know, I just, I, I don't know. I, I played it at, at the beginning of my career. He had some of the spillover from the, the old school guys where I'm not sure they were even getting treatment for things. Like these guys are just coming in. They're a different, different breed, right? So they're dealing with stuff, but I don't even know if I knew what it was.
1: It's uh, it, it is fascinating watching what players, and I'm always interested in the big reveal after the Stanley Cup Final too. Like, oh yeah, punctured lung, cracked rib. Like, oh, and you say to yourself, like, how are these guys able to do this? This is uh, this is this is remarkable. Um, we, uh the Matthew Kachuk, Jack Eichel hit. So there were a lot of people uh, right after that hit. It was a whole lot of comparisons to Scott Stevens and Paul Korea, you know, off the ice. And, you know, it was just, we all remember that, and certainly you do as well, um, that that Stevens Korea incident. Um, How did you see the Kachuk Eichel hits? And were you like a lot of us and thought, uh oh? He's probably finished for the game, and I wonder if he can even make it back for the series. And then we're stunned when he popped up in the third period and made a great play to Jonathan Marchessault so for his second goal, and said, "Don't worry, I'm all good. I was just winded." What did you make of all of that, Rupper?
2: Yeah, so I'm sitting. I'm sitting at our NHL Network set, and we got a great, great shot. We're in like a you know kind of a got a, a real nice view of the the arena there, the ice, and this happens, and I'm like oh my gosh, like what, first off, what a hit. I mean, clean, yeah. you know, unfortunate that Jack's kind of toe-picking and going down a little bit. And then it's like, then you remember, you see it's Jack Eichel, and you're like, oh no. Because we know about the, yeah. the spine and the neck and the, the injuries yeah, and, yeah. and stuff that he had. And so I, I think that at first, you're you just sitting there like, same thing, he's done. He ain't coming back. In the, he's not going to come back in this game for sure. But, you know, he... I just hope that he's okay, and I hope it's nothing long term with his injury. I remember sitting there and watched the replay nine hundred times. It felt like in that intermission, I literally just had on my fingertips right here. I'm watching it, Mike Johnson. I go, Johnny, like He's. I think at least he's got a he's got an AC joint issue. Like I've had that, and I, the way he went off mm-hmm. and, and everything. And, and, and generally speaking, uh, whenever those happen, I feel like they're pretty easy to call. I'm like he's got something there, and uh, and that's that's the minimal. Like, I hope it's just that, and mm. so and uh, so we end up. I'm I have it. I'm tweeting out like playing doctor, like hey, not to play doctor, but this looks like. And in the start of the third period, I see him. I don't send the tweet out yet. I see him come out on the bench, and I can't tell you, Jeff, like my uh, goosebumps all over my arms. I'm like, I love this. Jack Lickle's <laughs> getting it now. He's understanding. And, and he, I mean, if there was a reason, it was it's for nothing? If there was a, it was a, there was no need yeah. for him to come back, but it's showing that he's like, he understands. And I ran into him in the guts of the arena afterwards, walking out he was with some family and stuff and just kind of walked by and he's like, I'm good. I, you know, it was, it was a, it was a clean hit. I shouldn't, you know, I, I was kind of toe picked, but I feel awesome. I feel great. Everything's holding up good. And I'm like, thank God. Cause that could have been awful, but it was an incredible impact on that hit. That was, it was nuts.
1: My first thought was your first thought. My first thought was uh, the neck and artificial disc replacement and uh, all those things that we'd heard about it. And I know NFL players have had that surgery, uh, MMA fighters have had that surgery before. I don't know that that was, I don't know that we have seen that surgery tested like we did with that hit. Like that, honestly, that when 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 he was fine and he came back. My first thought is. Okay, so that neck, that surgery, that spine withheld that check. Now there have been other players, as you all well know, that have had similar surgery after Reichel. Uh, Tyler Johnson did, Joel Farabee did as well. But this is this is still kind of you know cutting edge treatment for for a significant um, disc issue that that Jack Eichel had. And I honestly, Rupper, I can't help but thinking that if I'm an NHL player and I'm faced with either the fusion or the ADR surgery, I'm looking at that hit and I'm saying, if I had any misgivings about doing this, that hit and how Eichel was able to withstand it, erased all of my fears. Like honestly, I can't help but looking at that and saying that is a victory lap for Eichel, um, Dr. Prusmak who did the surgery uh, for ADR surgery in general. And I think for players as well, like, it, like after that hit, maybe I'm making too much of this, Robert, and you can tell me if I am, but I, I can't help but thinking that this is a victory lap for that type of surgery. And if players had any fears about having it, the fact that Eichel recovered from that hit as quickly as he did alleviates all those fears. Agree or disagree?
2: I, I don't think you're making too much of that at all. I, I think you're 100% right. I think we've all, I don't want to say been waiting for it because, I didn't want to see Jack Eichel get hit at all that he's come back, you know? I mean, is yeah. he, that's a serious injury. But it's like we've been kind of in a weird way kind of waiting to see how this would play out, and that hit would be one. And the way he was hit, too, like I almost think, I mean, clearly if he got hit in the head there, you've got – it's it's different as far as probably concuss or whatever. But the way he got hit, and that's why mm-hmm. when I mentioned the AC joint, like he had Matthew Kachuk's shoulder right basically on his collarbone and with that impact yep. and it's like basically t- the 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 torque that it's putting on him and i would assume in his his neck his whole body is his whole torso i mean i don't know uh, that that's a, that's about as impactful as it's going to get and um so yeah i mean just seeing him and being able to come back and not just come back like it, at first i was like all right is he coming back on the bench that first shift it's like he wanted to prove something yeah. too he he got shot out of a cannon won a huge puck battle made a beautiful feed for an assist and I'm like this guy this guy's here you know and this guy's arrived and I kind of went off a little bit on our show our post-game show because I, I've been I was the one questioning Jack Eichel too as, as a lot of people were in the Buffalo days um sure. I think we can put that behind us now this guy's answering pretty much everything I'm just glad to see he's okay from that hit
1: Yeah, glad he's he's healthy, glad he's okay, and uh, listen, I'll tell you, I know there's a number of candidates. Jonathan Marcheseau is a candidate, Alex Petrangelo is a candidate, Mark Stone... Is a candidate. Uh, you can make a case, I think, for Aiden Hill uh, as well. But uh, if the if the vote goes to me, who's the the Smythe Trophy winner? Even though we still have a lot of runway here till this till this series is over, I'm still saying Jack Eichel, and I know he hasn't scored in what is it nine games? Doesn't matter. Uh, he's still productive. Um, he's playing well defensively, playing great in transition. Uh, I love watching him. Like, uh, is there anyone on either of these teams, Rupper? that enters the zone as creatively and with more ease than Jack Eichel? Because if there is, I haven't seen that guy. I have not seen that
2: guy. So he, it's it's funny you mention that because this is uh, certain, you know, every player has their things that they do better than ever, like the superstars do better than everybody else, yep. right? And we we always talk about, and we had him on media day, and I remember asking them, like, are you aware of your deception? You know what I mean? Are you aware that you sell something? And you give something else on plays, or is that just who you are? And he was like, "Well, you know," and, and kind of talking about it a little bit. Like it's not; it's just kind of something he does. And what I mean by that is, okay, we've always talked about Jack since he's come into the league. He has that upright skating position, hands very close, the way he yep. holds the stick. The body language shows it doesn't it doesn't lend you to think power and speed and explosiveness, right? Like it, it, it when he's skating mm. down on you, it looks like he's In casual mode, I don't know another way of putting it. He looks like he's casual. Next thing you know, he blows past you. Like he is traveling at a very, very high speed, and we've learned that and we've seen that. But he also has the Patrick Kane slow the game down, and I I find that's really incredible that he has that ability. Like when he enters the zone, like you said, he's got the patience. So he'll come in the zone. He'll he'll skate fast in the neutral zone. To kind of get away from the back check and then once he gains his own, holds onto the puck, curls up, and just hangs onto it, slows it down and now you've got to have everybody react and, and he seems to just draw players to him and he's a fantastic passer and yeah. just holds just kind of that puck so um, his his change of speed that he has, Connor has a great change of speed, right? Like he goes, he goes from fast oh, yeah. to turbo speed and, and on and off. Patty Kane slows it down. I mean, Jack Eichel has a very rare, because he can go top speed, and he has this slow it down mechanism, too, that just makes him so elite. And he, he just sells so many different things out there. I don't know how you defend him.
1: Okay, I'm going to wreck uh, Eichel skating for you. I'm going to give you a visual um, that, when Colby Armstrong said it to me, has always wrecked Jack Eichel skating for me, and now I can't unsee it. Colby Armstrong, we were working a, a Buffalo game, and we were doing a panel together, and he said, he skates like a velociraptor runs. And now, like (laughs) Rupper, every time I watch Jack Eichel skate, all I can see, like I just, I I just think of Jurassic Park, and I think of like Velociraptors (laughs) running. And now, like Rupper, I can't unsee it. He's got that back straight and the legs shooting out. Like he looks like he looks like a Velociraptor. But you're right, he's got this incredible power. And it's it's kind of throwback yeah, too, how. like you know when you go watch like old black black and white videos of NHL games, and everybody first of all all the, the 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 sticks are straight, and everyone's got the the brush cut look, and you know they all skate with their shoulders back and their back straight, and their heads are up, and they all have that look. He kind of has that too. Like there's an element, like he's got the weirdest skating style, man. Like I'm with you, Rupper. He's got the weirdest skating style. It's a combination, like throwback, like combination of like. I don't know. Pete Mahovlich meets like uh, Pavel Bure with the way that he with him, that he uh, has his back straight, but his his legs just like so explosive. It's uh, it really is a unique oh, it's thing. True. But, he, uh, yeah, just to, to is, ruin to ruin the visual. Think Velociraptor. Rubber, rubber.
2: <laughs> I will. I will be thinking that from now on. But it, and and that point in that too, it's like when you have a violent skater skating. I, I I would consider Connor a violent looking skater. Like he is. You see the pistons going. Yeah. It's, you know that that guy's moving. You know that he's cooking. Like, I'm not sure, Jack. It's almost like a pitcher hiding his pitches. Like, uh, he, you can have the same Jack Eichel coming down on you. I can't visually tell if he's in that speed mode or if he's in that slowdown mode. And by the time you figure figured out you got a bad gap either way and you're screwed. But, um, you mm-hmm. know, and the funny thing is I, when we talked to him on media day, I, when I asked him that question, he said a few years ago, he wouldn't say which name or which player he said, I went to my skating coach that I've had since I was a kid. And I gave him this name of a player in the league. And I said, I want to skate like that. And like, I want to skate more like that. And the skating coach said, you can't skate like that. That's not who you are. You skate like you. And, and just kind of like, so it's it's interesting that like, he's grown to know, because I'd have to assume somebody in, in his his upbringing, as far as playing hockey, was trying to be like, Jack, you got to skate deeper. you got to get lower. You gotta, your hand has to be lower on your it. stick. Yep. No, no, no. Every, everything he is doing is throwing everybody for a loop. His hand's that close together like it's a lacrosse stick. At the goaltenders, he's yeah. not showing shock. Next thing you know, this puck's coming out of the net. It's, it's incredible, really.
1: You know the, the 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 other guy that that reminds me of. I'm, I'm glad you took us down this road um, with the the hands close together and, and high on the stick. You know who that reminds. Like I look at Eichel and he's Getzy? a combination of so many different players for me. What's that? Do
2: you say are you going to go with Getzlaf?
1: Not Getzlaf. With? His with the hand with the hands high like Marian Hossa with the high hands. Oh yeah. Does it well, not I remind you of that. Hossa a little bit with the high hands?
2: Yeah. No, I could see that. I could see that. I've, I've always went with, with Getty, too, maybe just because he's like got that straight-up skate as well, which obviously Jack's a much better skater. But, um, yeah, I, didn't, I never thought about that. But, like, you know, you're talking about these great players. And, and beating players with moves, skill, speed, all those different things, that's hard enough in the National Hockey League. If you can have the, the, a level of deception in what you do, I mean, you're golden. Like like that guy, it's, just, it's impressive. But yeah, yeah, Hosa's a good one. He did hold his, his hand very close together.
1: Yeah, it, uh, so it was. Listen, I, I just say that because he's also one of my favorite players. And any chance I can reference Marion Hosa, uh, I'll always do so. Um, let me throw a name at you, and I'm just curious to see your reaction. Then we're going to get into something and a byproduct of this player Ivan Barbashev. Mike Rupp, go.
2: Um, I don't want to be the guy to say this because I'm sure other people were saying it too, but I just want to like, I was when St. Louis started going out of the mix as far as the playoffs back halfway through the season. And automatically you start hearing Tarasenko's name come up. And so I'm like, all right, who else do they have on that roster? They're going to want to sell off or they're going to need to sell off to the UFA. And I see Ivan Barbashev. And I remember talking to Darren Pang about him a little while back. And he guys, this guy's everything. He's Mr. Everything. Like, you know, Chief loves yeah. us to use him in St. Louis there in every position, every which way. We remember him in the playoffs. He was part of that what big solid third line that, that helped them get oh, the cup yeah. in in Saint Louis. And um, you know, Panger was like, he's got more offense in there too. And I started thinking to myself, I just love his physicality and his the way he plays out there. Um and it, I remember saying, like, at the trade deadline time, if St. Louis is going out, there's going to be a long, long line of people looking for Ivan Barbashev at the deadline. And so they went, got him. Uh, and I was talking to, to Paul that yesterday. He goes, This guy probably, this guy's probably added $20 million to what he's going to sign in, in, in free agency yeah. if, if he gets there. And 100%. I mean, this, he is, that hit on Radko Gudis, And we talked about the Eichel hit. Um, from Kachuk, that Barbashev one, he is so good at the, at the, what do you want to call it? The Forsberg, the reverse hit. Um, I mean, yeah. that is a solid show that he put down. Yeah. Right. Like it's, it's, he is so, he's so strong and uh, simple in the way he does a lot of things. Uh, he He is, he is going to be the most sought after person this summer. I believe if he makes it there, Uh, but he he might be playing himself out of Vegas just because how good he's playing right now.
1: Yeah, and that's why I think a lot of us, you know what, I think a lot of us are starting to wonder about Chicago. Uh, with him getting Connor Bedard and having someone physical around him like Ivan Barbashev but um back to the uh, the Vegas Golden Knights Barbashev here um there's the goodest hit and then there's the Anthony Declaire hit as well and you know Declaire you know kind of snapped on him as well and 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 got shocked what do you make of there's uh, there's always been a debate about that and you're right do we call it the the Peter Forsberg do we call it the the cold shoulder like the bump back what do we call Uh, that hit mark recce by the way was sneaky good at that one too i remember recce was always uh, was always good at that that peter forsberg move um where do you where do you uh where do you fall in the discussion of whether that is a legal hit should be a legal hit isn't a legal hit where do you fall on the the classic peter forsberg hit
2: well, oh, here's the here's the funny thing in this too. Not not funny because Red Kabadis clearly we mentioned the top. He's playing. That's great. But yeah, it's yeah. funny that because it's the player that is receiving the hit that actually gives the hit. I mean, that was straight up yep. head contact on the hit, but no one's talking about it because it wasn't the aggressor. You know what I'm saying? Like everyone, like it, it gets me yep. going sometimes when people say the easiest way to get rid of these concussions is just say anything to the head. It, you can't no, you can't you can't do that. It can't be just any contact. There's got to be some context involved. And I think that's a perfect example mm. because that was straight shoulder to chin, but I mean, how do you argue that that Judas went to hit him? You know what I'm saying? So, uh, but that that sneaky hit. Yeah, it, I mean, it, you know, it's a it's a sneaky hit. Is it, is it dirty? Um, no. I think mean, you're protecting yourself. I've some of the hardest hits I've taken in the NHL. I can tell you one right now. Hardest hit I probably ever took was in the premier games. We're playing over in in Sweden and we're playing at Anaheim. I'm on the Rangers. I got Bobby Ryan lined up and I'm like, Oh, I'm going to, I got him. And I, he acts like he doesn't yeah. see me. I get in close to him. He reverse shoulders me and I get the shoulder right in my chin. And I was, I was hurting like it was bad and like I got up and I'm like I went after him later in the game I know Bobby Ryan a little bit too and uh so I'm like I'm like hey man you got me right in the right in the you know right in the chin and he's like he's like hey he's like you're 6'5 250 you're coming at me like what do you want me to do I'm trying to protect myself I'm like oh you're right you know (laughs) like it's but when you don't know what's <laughs> happening or you, you think, I think it's like you think that you've got the guy lined up. He doesn't see me. I'm yep. going to get him. And then all of a sudden, you get that shoulder right and square in your chest. It is. It's a yeah. tough hit. So the guys that have it, it's all about timing, though, because know, you do it wrong. You're either getting penalized or you're going to look like an idiot. Um, you know, it's, it's an art.
1: It really is. Um, Let me ask you about the Florida Panthers here quickly. Uh, A couple of minutes left here with you. Uh, Paul Maurice, head coach, mentioning this morning that um, in his mind, and again, maybe I just have to put on my Paul Maurice decoder ring and try to figure out what he's really trying to say or what the strategy behind this might be. Uh, Paul Maurice saying that uh, the mistake that the Panthers have made is they've tried to make this series more physical than it needs to be. Now, when I heard that, my first thought was the admission from the Panthers is we could bully the Bruins. We could bully the Leafs. We could bully the Carolina Hurricanes, but we can't bully the Vegas Golden Knights. We're going to have to try to do something else. How do you see the Paul Maurice comments about we've made this series more physical than it needs to be?
2: I I mean, that's a good one. You can take it a bunch of different ways. And I think that that's, probably intentional and what Paul Maurice does is just kind of allow those things out there. makes you think, uh, you know, um, probably, probably just, um, I don't know. I I think looking at this, everything that Florida to to encapsulate the Florida Panthers in this series, for me, everything they're doing Mm -hmm. is the right intention is just trying to do too much. And it almost has to. You almost have to turn it around um, and and be selfish in some parts in the playoffs. And this is going beyond the hitting. This is just talking about them running out of their way to get hits or them trying to cover for one another. It's it's like you almost have to be selfish at times in the playoffs. Team first, team concept first. But as far as what my job details are, that's all I need to worry about. Do my job. And don't sit here and be like, oh, I think Sasha Barkov's going out here. I have to cover here for him because I think he's, you know, and, and now next thing you know, everyone's just not on the same page. You just need to do your job. And I feel like, you know, sometimes you know, as far as the physicality, they're just they're trying to find it. Like the physicality, you've got to hit everything that moves in the playoffs. I don't care who you are on what team, but it's got to be in front of you. You can't, you can't stretch yourself to go look for it. And I think that that's what they're doing. They're trying to make it even more physical, and it's been successful for them up to this point. But right now, it's like, it, it again, mm-hmm. it's the right intention. To, it's the same thing with them blocking shots or trying to block shots and screening their goaltender. Like, it's the right intention. How are you oh, going to yeah. tell a guy, how are you going to tell a guy, you know, you, like, you're not going to scream at a guy for trying to block a shot. Like, it, it's, he's trying to do the right thing. But here's the thing. They're not blocking them in their screen and their goaltender. So it's like, you know, everybody's mm-hmm. trying, but it's not working. They're trying to do too much. So, um, you know, I think that's something. But with, with this roster, here's my question, though, Jeff. It's like, what do you – it, it's a tough spot to navigate because that has been their M.O. That has been their M.O. all playoffs long, and they don't have a dancing partner in a lot of ways now to, to play into what they're doing. And, and maybe that doesn't even bother the Vegas Golden Knights because they're, they're a little bit of a different breed. But with that being said, like this is a this is a team that I love line two. Love line two. Matthew Kachuk, Nick Cousins, Sam Bennett. Well, Sam Bennett and Nick Cousins are they're they're depth players. They have been. But that's what I love about them. They've been so money for this team and clutch for this team. But like that's who they are. And mm-hmm. they're playing with Matthew Kachuk, who can do a very various things. But this you look at their lineup and the guys they have in important positions, you can't all of a sudden just be like, all right guys, they're not, they're not partaking, So we got to change our style. That is who they are. So this, they just got to find this balance. Be more disciplined. Everyone just do their job. Don't look for the physicality. It'll be there, and um, it, it should give them a better chance. But honestly, that, but I don't know. Like uh, the way this Vegas team's going, I don't know if it matters.
1: Oh. Vegas, a wagon. Uh, they look so good. We'll see what happens tonight. Puck drops just after eight o'clock Eastern uh, on CBC and Sports. That Mike Rupp has been my guest. Rupper always good. You're so generous with your time. I know it just it just flies. I just looked up at the clock and I'm like, geez, I'm sure Rupper has more better things to do than talk to me for twenty minutes. Uh, no, thanks man. as I always, pal. You time. are the best. You are the best. Right, thanks, uh, thanks, Mike. You have a good day. Enjoy the game tonight. We'll check in soon. Perfect. Sounds good. There is the great Mike Rupp from the NHL Network, former, former Stanley Cup champion himself. Uh, and again, the pregame show gets underway tonight, 7.30 Eastern on CBC and Sportsnet. Uh, it is Hockey Central. The puck drops just after 8 o'clock. It is Game 3 as the venue shifts to sunrise. The Florida Panthers look to jump back into the series. The Vegas Golden Knights look to take a stranglehold. 3 nothing lead. Eyes on Jack Eichel who's been marvelous. Ivan Barbashev, who uh, you know, uh, Mike Rupp mentions in his conversation with Paul Bissonnette, probably has added $20 million uh, to his next contract the way that he has played. Uh, and speaking of contracts, uh, Aiden Hill is a UFA. Jerry Johansson is the agent there licking his lips and his chops, thinking about what that next deal will look like. Meanwhile, the deal for the Vegas Knights is... Go up 3 nothing. the Florida Panthers. Uh, Paul Maurice, their head coach, saying, we've made this series more physical than it needs to be. We'll see if they can course correct. Or is that just a strategy to call Dan O'Rourke and Kelly Sutherland, your two referees, tonight off the Florida Panthers' scent? We'll see what happens tonight. CBC and Sportsnet just after 8 o'clock. It is Game 3 the Panthers and the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, we'll hit a break. We'll come back and you'll hear our interview with Bruce Cassidy recorded last Friday. Uh, a lot of really good stuff in here because, as you well know, there are no bad Bruce Cassidy interviews. Uh, this one's another good one, and it has nothing to do with me and Elliot, as you will hear shortly. Across the Sportsnet radio network, it's the Merrick Show. Sportsnet 360, Sportsnet Now, back in a moment.
0: The most opinionated Maple Leaf show out there. Real and Bourne. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network.
1: So here's the question. Is it revenge or is it redemption? Bruce Cassidy, two wins away from winning the Stanley Cup. This is... um, a nhl coach who has had the highest of highs and the lowest of lows well i shouldn't say highest of highs yet because he's been to the stanley cup final uh but hasn't won it yet Uh, with the boston bruins losing to the st louis blues right now his vegas golden knights up 2-0 on the florida panthers game three is this evening um one of the reasons why i really like and have a lot of time for bruce cassidy is this uh first of all i like coaches and players, and people for that matter, uh, who get and also give second chances and sometimes third chances. And when it comes to Bruce Cassidy, now originally Bruce Cassidy had his go-around with the Washington Capitals as a coach and then very, very briefly in an assistant capacity um, with the Chicago Blackhawks. And after that, it was the AHL for him. And when you coach in the AHL for long enough, people start to say, Oh, he's an AHL coach. Oh, he's a minor league coach. And for the longest time, many of us, and I think I kind of include myself in this as well, you know, thought, you know, we'd seen the last of Bruce Cassidy in the NHL. He was never going to get called up to the show again, maybe in some interim capacity quickly, But then he'd be banished back down to the American League. Well, when the Boston Bruins parted ways with Claude Julien uh, a number of years ago, and we all thought that was surprising, uh, the phone call went to Bruce Cassidy and he got the call. And again, it was in an interim capacity, but he did a lot of special things with that Boston Bruins squad. And the interim tag got removed, and the Bruins enjoyed a like a lot of success for a, a multiple amounts of years. Um, and then, for various reasons, personality clash, player clash, um, Bruce Cassidy was relieved of his duties last year after being told that he was safe. Interestingly enough. Um, this was a team that he grew up rooting for. This was his hometown team. This was his squad. He loved the Boston Bruins. Everything about Bruce Cassidy was the Boston Bruins. And to have that rug pulled from under him uh, was difficult, was emotional, and was, I would imagine, really upsetting, not just for Cassidy, but for his family as well. You know, And there there seemed to be a coaching carousel that happened from Montgomery going to Boston. From Peter DeBoer going from Vegas to Dallas and from Bruce Cassidy going from Boston to Vegas to coach the Knights. Uh, he arrived there and, as you'll hear in the interview, found an affinity with Jack Eichel. Now, Jack Eichel, as you'll hear in this interview, as Cassidy talks about, you know, heard a lot of things about his game. Heard a lot of things about him personally. You can't win with Jack Eichel. That's not a winner. Uh, You can't win with Bruce Cassidy behind the bench. He's not a Stanley Cup winner. It's never going to happen. And whenever I hear stories about and people saying, oh, you can't win with this guy, you can't win with that guy, I always say once upon a time they said, you can't win with Iserman. You can't win with Ovechkin. Until you do. And here are the Vegas Golden Knights, two wins away from winning the Stanley Cup. And all of a sudden, both about Jack Eichel and Bruce Cassidy, no one's saying you can't win with these guys anymore. Here's an interview that Elliot and I did with Bruce Cassidy last Friday afternoon at T-Mobile Arena uh, in advance of Game 1, which would have been the Saturday. This interview, as I mentioned, was recorded on the Friday. Uh, None of it is really dated. We don't talk specifically about Game 1, but more in generalities about the season and him and his relationship with Jack Eichel. Here is Bruce Cassidy from 32 Thoughts, the podcast, in conversation with me and Elliot. Is this the best team you've ever coached?
3: Boy, that's a good question. Uh, I think it is top to bottom. Uh, I think there's been some years in Boston we might have had a a more dominant line or maybe a deep air, but at the end of the day, top to bottom, and we'll find out this next series, right?
4: (laughs) There's one thing I remember you saying. I can't remember if it was the morning of Game 7 in 2019, but I think it was. You said, I just want my name on that damn
3: cup. I've always remembered that. Yes, and that's getting closer, right? And that's my goal. I want my name in the damn cup. It's true that there was a lot of questions about this and that, right? Game seven and pressure, not pressure, enjoying the moment. And I, I think that's the only thing I was focused on. And I think the players are, would probably say the same. Some of them had it in our room, which I think will help us. Mm-hmm. Others want it that have been there like me, That
1: you know, especially here in Vegas. So that's, uh, that's what's in front of us. Is it possible... Because I know how hard you work and how many hours you put in and how you don't want the foot off the pedal. Has it been possible at all through this journey to take a step back and enjoy yourself through all of it? Or is that an impossible? No,
3: no, it's a good point and And I have, that's maybe one of the differences from last time, which days to be businesslike and which days to allow yourself to dream a little bit, so to speak. We, we talked about that with our group, actually, the night before the Dallas game, a little bit about what's at stake and and it's okay to think about that and you know think about maybe your legacy in hockey sometimes well, you know the, the, these things can define you as a hockey player never as a person but as a hockey player and the next day you drill down on the details so I think that's how we've tried to balance the big picture and in a day of a game okay here's the details that will help us you know get to where we want to go and whether that was Right or wrong, we've kind of looked at that approach this year. And I think in my first go-around, it was all still new to me, like the the playoff runs, the media demands, the different times for practice. You know, they're changing your practice. All these things change all of a sudden. so your routine gets thrown off a little bit and how to adjust to some of those things. What's a Bruce Casting day off look like? Uh, I'm usually driving my kids somewhere. They both like to golf now, so here in Vegas, that's a good oh, thing. Oh, very good. <laughs> it's typically during in the winter, they both play hockey, mm-hmm. son and daughter, so that's going to a rink here where the Henderson Silver Knights play, so mm-hmm. I'm out there a lot, baseball practice. Mm-hmm. I like to go to my kids' activities because it takes me out of my activities in my head, like, you know, thinking about hockey. So it's kind of just really, you know, takes you away and just be around kids, it's kind of... Loosens the
4: mood quite a bit. Have either of your children or any of your children surpassed you as a golfer yet?
3: No. No, I, uh, Cole is a, a good player. My daughter's just getting into it, mm-hmm. uh, but he's got a ways to go. That's, <laughs> golf is my passion away from, and like, in the summer, right? How dare you suggest one of
4: my kids could be better <laughs> no. than me?
3: Not happening, uh, Elliot. Not ready uh, to snatch the like, pebbles. No, it seems like guys either fish or play golf mm-hmm. because yeah. of our, our offseason being in the summer, and I chose golf.
1: Jack Eichel has played so well for you he's it's just flat out spectacular game one though of the playoffs uh, by his admission anyone who's followed Jack Eichel uh, not a Jack Eichel game did you talk to him after that game was there was there any even any need to talk to Eichel after game one
3: if I did it was very basic there's no like big message if that's kind of where you're going I we weren't very good as a team you know he was just part of that product you know we sort of say we got to. Okay, it's time now. And then the next game, we, we got to our game. Jack was a big reason for that. But remember, Mark Stone just came back, and we did not know if he'd play game one at all, game two, the next series. So I think there was a little bit of that, almost like, oh, well Stoney's back in the lineup, you know. And meanwhile, you know, he hasn't played in three months. Like, so we sort of say, hey, we got to collectively get to our own individual levels and. I think that certainly happened with Jack right away. And, and in fairness to him, it's his first playoff game ever. There's going to be a little bit of probably anxiety, if nothing else, like, you know, what's this all about? One of the things
4: I, I really wanted to ask you about is you give some of the most detailed breakdowns and answers and in interviews. I remember in 2019, you pulled your goalie in the Stanley Cup final with five seconds left in the period. And you did a whole breakdown on, we tried this. I love it. I know Ron in particular has remarked a lot about how detailed you are a lot of coaches wouldn't be like that I love that you do it why do you do it I guess
3: well I like to talk hockey for one and I don't believe there's a lot of secrets I think there's guys that don't want to it's like they know something you don't I just don't feel like I'm that guy I think everything I say it's is probably they're watching film and know some of this stuff you know and if not well shame on me but I just feel like that's I just feel there's so many good coaches in this league that a lot of this stuff is already out there if, if you choose to talk about it or not. I don't know if I'm explaining myself you very are. well, but uh, so I don't think it's any big secret what I'm, what I'm revealing now, you know, sometimes I've been told, well, you know, you can, you know, you don't have to talk so much, you know, I'm <laughs> like, well, I can't help it. I asked a question and I have a tough time. I'm not very good at stick handling around. I, I'm just not a politician yet in that regard. So I'd rather just answer the damn question and talk hockey. And I just,
1: that's just what I've always done. Don't change. Well, I was going to say, we like it better that way. <laughs> I think a lot of people like it better that way. Where do you think the Stanley Cup final, which zone do you think the Stanley Cup final will be won in?
3: Well, it's interesting because I would say in the slot battle, so you've got the slot battle in each zone, depending where the puck is. If that, you know, I think the team that controls a neutral zone it's, is always going to have an edge because yep. you're, you know, you're forecheck and you're getting to your game. I think both teams forecheck well, but... You know, if we get away from that, I think the slot battle will determine the Stanley Cup. Can I ask you about Boston? Sure.
4: We all have go through it. I've been fired before. Like, there were some tough things said about you or about the situation there. Did it bother you? Do you? Does any of you
3: feel like this is revenge? Well, I don't feel it's revenge, and some of it did bother me. You know, I got hired by Golden Knights to do a job quickly, and, and they've been nothing but fantastic. So for me, it's more about... You know, getting know, your, your head where your feet are and getting going back to work. Cause as you said, you know, you're on the clock the day you're hired. So you know that it's coming eventually. I just, there was some of the narrative I didn't appreciate or, or feel was accurate. I just sometimes feel like, Hey, you didn't win enough. We're going to do voice, whatever is usually sufficient and move on, but it's a sports market in, in media and talk radio. So there's going to be always be conversations there. So Eventually, it kind of goes away, and you just do your job. Now, I happen to have a house in Cape Cod in the summer. With kids from New England, so going back is something we'd like to always do because their roots there. So that'll be interesting to see how that goes. But at the end of the day, uh, everyone is good about it there. I've got great neighbors, great people there. That I've met. Hopefully, they treat you as a person more than a Bruin, right? Because <laughs> you know, like I, I've always said, I'll always have, have Bruins will always be part of me. It was my favorite team growing up. But now with the Golden knight success to get to the second part of it, it, you know, it feels good to be able to kind of prove yourself in a different market now and and sort of put that behind you and, and try to remember it as a great experience because it was. I really cut my teeth in coaching there mm-hmm. um, and, and probably established myself
1: as a legitimate coach and it happened in Boston. Mm-hmm. Let, let me try another word um, because I kind of feel that there's, there, there is a symmetry between yourself and Jack Eichel because when Eichel was moved from Buffalo – to Vegas and even before when he was still in Buffalo, a lot of things that were said about Jack Eichel and he heard them and internalized them and has used it for fuel as you have as well. Maybe not revenge, but do you feel you're vindicated just by getting to the Stanley Cup final? Maybe
3: there's a little bit of that. That uh, Although I had confidence in my ability to coach, I thought I did a good job in Boston. As I said, if, if I looked at it more as, you know, like, they need a new voice that's fine and 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 Pete DeBoer was a very good coach and I'm t- taking over from a guy that did a good job too so that's kind of the circle of life and coaching I think but with Jack when I met with him it's, it's funny I met with him in July I talked about that I think we're tied together here Jack you know we're, hmm. we're coming in kind of in very similar situations yeah. so what are we gonna what can we do together to move this forward a little bit what do you need from me here's what I'm expecting, these will be the asks, and we'll sort through it as I get to know you. What do you need from me? And let's make sure we, we come together on these things because I think we're going to be tied together with success or failure of the Vegas Golden Knights. So it's ironic that you'd mention that, but I, I do believe that.
1: Eight days after he was fired by the Boston Bruins, the Vegas Golden Knights hired Bruce Cassidy. Uh, and you just heard from the Vegas Golden Knights head coach, who was two games away from winning, the uh, two wins away from winning the Stanley Cup, uh, for the first time in his career. He played his junior with the Ottawa 67s, uh, coached by the legend uh, Brian Kilray, um, when Cassidy went back to coach in the OHL. Uh, his front uh, I remember there was a, a little bit made about this game as well. In the front played the Ottawa sixty sevens, and uh, the, uh, the 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 player coaches against uh, his old coach, um, the uh, the pupil and the student. Uh, that was a special one. I'm I'm sure to Bruce Cassidy. I got a lot of time for Bruce Cassidy, Matt Marchese. I uh, I think that he's one of um, one of the most intelligent coaches in the NHL, and and not just X's and O's, but also I think he's a great communicator first of all he does great interviews um, as I've said off the top of the show uh, if you can find me a bad Bruce Cassidy interview um, good luck uh, please bring that to me because I'd love to hear it uh, you always learn something by talking to Bruce Cassidy or listening to Bruce Cassidy speak um, he is honest some might say honest to a fault in in some interviews but um, I think the Stanley Cup final is blessed with two head coaches. That are uh, a dream for media and a dream for fans by extension, because they're great quotes, they are great thinkers, they are great uh, communicators, um, and I, it's 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 always better when you have two head coaches because the post games are always must listen to, uh, competing for the Stanley Cup. Um, your thoughts on Bruce Cassidy?
5: Uh, firstly, I love the the biggest reason why I love Bruce Cassidy is he pl- he was a ball hockey player. Actually, that's what really kind of hurt his, <laughs> his his hockey career was that he got hurt playing yeah. ball hockey. And I re- I remember my old man telling me, yeah yeah. I remember playing against Bruce Cassidy in like provincial championships and stuff no like way. that. He was he was excellent. Yeah yeah. My dad played against Futes and actually, as an aside, because I know you'll love this story, um, this is what my dad tells me, and I don't know how true it is, but they were playing, (laughs) and Sean Burke was the opposing goalie in ball hockey. And somebody somebody stepped over the red line. And you know what happens when you play ball hockey. Take a slap shot and that thing does some weird things. They apparently scored from about the red line and then they scored like a couple goals on Sean Burke early. He walked to the bench, took off his gear and said, I'm never playing in net in ball hockey
1: again. Sean Burke did? Apparently that's the story. I remember, just as a quick aside while we're going uh, ball hockey, I'll give you a roller hockey goalie story. Mm -hmm. Um... When he was playing for the uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, I became pretty close with the late Wade Bielak. And Wade was someone that I would talk to all the time. And we would play, actually, we would play roller hockey together in the summers. And there was one game we were playing in a tournament. Actually, you know what? Michael Landsberg was the one that put this one roller hockey team together. And we got Wade to come out and play. But Wade was like, I'm not going to go out and play roller hockey as a forward or a defenseman. Let me play net. And we're like, Wade, sure, like whatever you want to do, bud. Like, I'm, I'm sure you'll still be the best goaltender in our, in our roller hockey league. Certainly you'll be the toughest player on the floor. But if you want to play net, go for it. So we get to the rink and we're all wondering, okay, like what's Belak going to bring for goalie equipment? And this was at the end of Trevor Kidd's run with the Toronto Maple Leafs. And so Belak shows up with the Maple Leaf bag and he opens it up and he's got all of Trevor Kidd's gear <laughs> in it. And we're like, wait, is that like, like, and, and you remember Trevor Kidd's, you like, it's, it's unmistakable. Yes. And, and we're like, wait, is that Trevor Kidd's gear? He's like, yeah, I just stopped by the rink on the way over. Not like he's going to use it again in Toronto. <laughs> he was on his way out. Yeah, we all know how it ended with Trevor Kidd. And it was wild. It was, it was Wade Belak dressed up as, as Trevor Kid playing roller hockey with us. Anyhow, I have another roller hockey story that involves Scott Walker challenging our bench in uh, like one of the provincial playdowns. But that'll, that'll be for another story. Uh, spoiler, nobody jumped over the boards. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> yeah, no, your concluding thoughts on Bruce Cassidy.
5: <laughs> yeah, he's he's really, a. I like how thoughtful he is because that i think you know when we have there are some and not that all coaches aren't thoughtful but bruce actually tells you the things that he's thinking and you talked about being honest to a fault but i think he's i think the way he looks at the game is is uh, it's it's refreshing and the conversation that he mm-hmm. had which he mentioned that he had with jack eichel like hey we're in this together <laughs> right like people are kind of looking at yeah. us in the same light here and and i think that that's a really important conversation, an honest conversation to have with a superstar who's coming in. And there are a lot of questions about said superstar and said coach. There's a reason Mm -hmm. why Bruce Cassidy was was unemployed for eight days is because he's a really good coach. And yeah, and and I and I like the I like the fact that you know you talked about we all thought he may not get back, but sometimes and there's lots of coaches like that and we've seen the the recycling of coaches in the NHL, some guys just needed a shot at the level, just like players. Like you just need a shot to show how great you are. He got his shot. He proved how great he was and now he's two wins away from winning a Stanley Cup. I, I'm I'm a big fan of Bruce Cass.
1: Yeah. I uh and, and this is not a knock on Paul Maurice. They're different people obviously but uh the question that I asked about you know where will this series be won And Cassidy says right away in front of the net. And so far, that's been true. Like, this series has been won by Vegas uh, getting in front of Sergei Bobrovsky and staying there. And the Florida Panthers unable to do anything about it. Uh, In a subsequent interview about, I don't know, half an hour later, Elliot and I sat down with Paul Maurice. I asked the same question. I said, Paul, where is this series going to be won? And he said, I don't want to tell you. And then he went on to give an explanation about why he didn't want to say it in Paul Marie, true Paul Maurice fashion. Um, but that's again to Bruce Cassidy. Ask him a question; he'll give you an answer. Um, you can hear that again on our Thirty Two Thoughts podcast. Thanks to Mike Rep for stopping by the show today. Jason Bukola and Elliot Friedman, uh, Tristan Marcajani. Thanks so much for uh, for hopping in today, Matt Marchese, Jen Rolnick. The real brain trusts of the program. Enjoy game three tonight, pregame 730 Eastern. Puck drops just after eight. Game three.